this week on the Eldritch Lawcast. I'm looking for Amanda Hug and Kiss. And I would tell you who that was and why this is happening, but if I did, I would have to kill you. Gonorrhea. There's no plan right now to release one D&D under an OGL at all. 5e feels like the sacred cow everybody is rushing in to kill and take their part away from. Every fantasy heartbreaker that wants to do D&D, but I'll do it right this time, is doomed to fail. Because D&D, but I'll do it right this time, is just kind of what you like or what your group likes. All that and more right now. everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the Eldritch Lawcast, the number one tabletop ND&D RPG podcast. Wow, I mangled that one. I'm going to try again. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Eldritch Lawcast, the number one tabletop RPG and slash or D&D and slash or Black Flag and slash or Pathfinder and slash or insert tabletop rpg of your choice uh we are the podcast for that um my name is ben Byrne. if you've never watched an episode before and i am joined as most weeks uh by dale kingsmill sean merwin james hake and instead of asking a question this week i wanted to do something a little bit fun because we asked two weeks ago uh, a question which was what is the worst npc name uh, that you have ever named one of your characters before that your party have have inevitably made fun of. And I love the stories that we got back uh, on YouTube, on Spotify. We got some in the Twitch chat. So I've just grabbed a small selection of those. Um, yeah, I don't know. These are fun stories. It's just a little thank you for, for we've ha- we've had a little bit of a an influx of new audience lately. So I just wanted to to say thanks and read out some of these funny stories. James Hake, if you are ready, you want to take this first one from Kieran? Yes, yes. Kieran says, I once named a character Goneril after one of the three divisive sisters from Shakespeare's King Lear. And she instantly became Gonorrhea. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what happened in my high school English class. <laughs> Great. Well, you know, there, there are worse there are worse names to pick among Lear's daughters. If you chose Reagan, the jokes write themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a fair. joke for all the I'm Shakespeare I'm too fans Australian to not know. I, uh, <laughs> Ronald Reagan? <laughs> Come no, on. I, mean, I know of Ronald Reagan and like three other things about him. <laughs> yeah, I got to admit that that joke would have fallen flat uh, here. Look um, out. I'm about to start quizzing you on Menzies. All right, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he'd pass it. I explained to him the whole uh, story of Australian politics over the last few years. Uh, Dale Kingsville, do you want to take this one which came in on YouTube from Dungeon Doctor? Certainly I will. Uh, I went through a phase of naming NPCs after a theme in the same way Akira Toriyama names characters after stuff like fruits, vegetables. Uh, I was using the theme of spices. So for nutmeg, I went with Megnut. My players thereafter would only call that NPC Mega Nut. <laughs> that tracks. That tracks. Uh, Sean Merwin, do you want to take the next one from Alex? I sure will. The player summoned a demon, and I reach for something that sounds scary and go, Who dares to summon Gargamel? And they all started laughing. Like the bad guy from the Smurfs? Yep. <laughs> I guess so. Never watched that show, but I guess my demon sucks now. Ah, well, I tried. Yes, Alexander, That's we've so all been relatable. there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not quite as hilarious, but I did name a character Soth without realizing Soth, Soth. of uh, Dragonlance. It, it can be very easy to pick up names by accident. Uh, demon naming tip, though. Use, um, like, hay fever medicine. There's, like, I don't know mm-hmm. if these brands are international, but, like, Zavirax. Zyrtec. Zyrtec. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dale knows oh, yeah. what I'm talking about. Um, uh, all right, from White Owl <laughs> says, I also had a character a while ago, uh, a mighty druid leader named Feld the Crow Cloaked. One of my players just couldn't wrap their head around it. It started out with Felt Crow Cloak, then turned into Felt Clow Croak, Felt Cloak Crow, felt clo- crowy cloak uh, and kind of went on from there. And that that I have one player, you know who you are if you're listening, who does that with all my NPC names. It's just the way they remember the NPC names is, you know, the person, the felty, Chloe, cro- croak, croak person. 
Uh, James, do you want to take this next one from Fabrice? I I want to say Fabrice, but I'm sort of NPC naming the question asker, (laughs) and that's not fair of me. Um, Fabrice says, I named a villain wizard Cophagus the Black. One session in, and he was cough syrup. From Joe, bartender named Bart Ender. That's, I mean... Brought that on yourself, really. You made your choice. (laughs) I'm looking for Amanda Hug and Kiss. Come on, can anyone find me Amanda (laughs) Hug and Kiss? kiss. (laughs) So, T-E-N-A-S. Reading it aloud, it sounded exactly like tennis. Quick quick tip, if you make character names for your game, read them aloud before you bring them to your characters. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it doesn't even help me. Sometimes I will read it aloud and I'll be like, yeah, tennis. Tennis, that's a cool fantasy name. Like, you just completely forget that the sport even exists. Well, I love this last one from Michael, which that same adage applies, where he says, a dramatic scene involving the players beseeching the aid of a council of military leaders. I named each of them in turn and then confidently introduced General Storr, as in S-T-O-R-R, but... uh, Mm-hmm. did not go over well with the rest of the party for the rest of the time. Uh, General Storr and his lieutenant, Quick E. Mart. Um, <laughs> oh, that one hurts. <laughs> uh, let us kick off the news this week uh, quickly with letting folks know that Agents of the Empire, uh, which is the current fable being published by Ghostfire Gaming, uh, being the start of February, it has now released episode two, Uh, of Agents of the Empire. It's not too late to jump on board. If you subscribe to Fables uh, Episode 3 now, you will get the full um, kind of world setting so you can start up straight from this adventure. You don't necessarily have to have played the first one to jump on board, but you can go back and get it if you want. Um, uh, Starting with this particular episode, Magitech malfunctions draw the party into investigating a mysterious figure who wishes to disrupt the Empire. Um, If you didn't hear the elevator pitch from earlier episodes, Agents of the Empire being a sort of espionage-style magical technology, magitech adventure, which I think uh, sounds absolutely amazing. Uh, Sean, you've been running it at a couple of conventions. I'm not sure if you've run this episode, but have you been enjoying running Agents of the Empire? Yeah. Uh, Joe Rosso and I, at two conventions now, have run the uh, the first chapter and the fourth chapter of episode one to get the beginning of the story and then a big climactic scene at the end. And it's been wonderful. All the tables we've run have had a great time and I'm running it again next weekend at yet another convention. So I haven't gotten into chapter two yet, but based on what I've seen from from the first episode, uh, I very much want to run this as a campaign or at least play in it if I can, because it is the best of fantasy and the best of the uh, super spy Genre all wrapped up in one. I'm just so happy to hear that Joe and his team knocked it out of the park. Like, I'm not surprised, but I'm happy. It, it means that going back and rewatching every single James Bond movie before pitching this was worth it, <laughs> even if I wasn't involved in it beyond that. I mean, this is a super cool setting. I, I'm look, I'm going to be 100% honest because I like my dark, gritty, witcher esque, like, you know, mm-hmm. fantasy set in Grim Hollow where everything is, you know, sad and bad. Um, or at least grounded. When I heard like James Bond fantasy, I was like, I, I, I didn't see that connection. But having seen the artwork and read a little bit of Agents of the Empire, what it reminds me of, and I think I've said this in reference to Pirates of the Ethereal Expanse as well, which is uh, uh, story-wise connected um, to Agents of the Empire, is that it kind of reminds me of Arcane, the Netflix series, mm-hmm. which is just a perfect blending of the arcane and the technological and the sort of high fantasy, but still feeling like the emotional stakes are very real, you know? Um, And the Lord, like the world is, um, you know, high fantasy. There's, there is magic kind of permeating things, but there are rules to it and there are laws to it and understanding like how that works is kind of part of the, the setting and your, your magitech gadgets and, and magic items that you get are sort of all part of the, the milieu of your character makeup. Is that, am I, am I hitting the nail on the head there? Absolutely. Um, the idea for this fable 
started actually way back before I was even with Ghostfire. I'd accepted the job, but I hadn't come to the company yet. I was still working on Tal'Dorei campaign setting Reborn. And each one of those subclasses that Matt Mercer and his... Uh, did, did I work on any of those beyond revising them? I don't remember. The Matt Mercer came up with. Uh, one of them was the, the Agent of the Cobalt Soul, which people have seen on uh, D&D Beyond and stuff. It's among subclass. Marisha played it in Campaign 2. And we came up with uh, iconic characters to illustrate each one of those. They're on the cover of the book. They're in a lot of the key art of the book. And the Cobalt Soul agent wound up being this very sort of uh, James Bondy character. She was like a uh, very, very suave, purple, blue suit, side shave, big braid, half work with like this cool garrote whip weapon. And I was like, okay, I need, I need to make a whole adventure off of this concept. <laughs> and even if I didn't end up making it in the end, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we won you over with it, Ben, with mm. that, with that concept. Then we can win anyone. We win anyone over. Uh, if, can <laughs> if you can win over Ben. ben. <laughs> um, he's uh, well, if he's you, the, the litmus test. Yeah. If you can shift me off of anything that vaguely resembles the Witcher, then, then you're winning. Um, uh, if you want to catch up with the agents of the Empire, you can follow the link. There's a link in the uh, Twitch chat now. It'll be down here. It'll be over there. There'll be, a li- there'll be links everywhere. Um, or you can go to ghostfiregaming.com uh, and look for fables there and you will undoubtedly be able to find it uh, if you want to jump on board. All right. No rest for the wicked. The wicked being us in this circumstance. Uh, I thought we were going to have a nice easy episode this week. thought it was going to be nice and f- and, and kind fool. of like... I thought we were going to do a, like a listener mailbag type thing would have been cool. Um, but hours, precisely, I think about six, seven hours before we went online. So not quite last minute, but pretty last minute, considering I woke up less than maybe three hours ago. Uh, there has been an interview released by the three black halflings YouTube channel, uh, with Kyle Brink, uh, the current head of Dungeons and Dragons, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I had to write, if I get these details wrong, I apologize. I had to like rush and put these notes together. Um, but uh, it it hasn't been held secret. I think Ginny D mentioned, Bob World Builder mentioned. Several YouTubers had been approached by Wizards and offered an interview with Carl Brink. Uh, there may be more on the way, I'm not sure, but Three Black Halflings put theirs up a few hours ago. I've had a chance to uh, sort of quickly peruse through it, but I actually suspect the three of you have had a much uh, more extensive look at it. Uh Begin. Where shall we start the discussion? What's jumped out at you the most? I have a new curse that I am going to put on people I don't like. And it's (laughs) may you have to be the spokesperson for a large company with rabid fans (laughs) because down that road lies nothing but pain and anguish. The, The hosts of Three Black Halflings were asking tough questions. Uh, of Mr. As Brink. they should. As yeah. they, as they should, too. absolutely. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, even even beyond the the uh, controversy of the OGL, they were asking questions, you know, about, uh, uh, you know, how Wizards HR kind of functions and things like that. Um, uh, so if you want to check out the interview, sorry, I did have a link here, but I've had to close all my windows so my internet's a little bit faster. Uh, Three Black Halflings is the YouTube channel. You can go find it. It'll probably be the first result. Uh, and also uh, Christian Hoffer did a breakdown of the interview. It is an hour long, so if you don't want to watch the whole thing, they seem to have done a fairly uh, concise breakdown of the main points that were hit throughout it on Twitter. Um, so you can go check that out uh, if you want to have a look there. Um, uh, maybe Ghostfire Nick if you're around or, or Han if you're around, you can help me out with links in the Twitch chat. Other than, other than the tight spot that Mr. Brink finds himself in, <laughs> what were the things that were discussed that may have jumped out at you? On one hand, Brink says that uh, the D&D team, the creative team, people like Chris Perkins and Dan Dillon and all of the, all the people, Wes Schneider, all the people who are making the game, the tabletop game, were underrepresented in this discussion. Now, it's not clear exactly what underrepresented means, but it is interesting to note that that 
that situation where the creative team may not have had much input on the overall business decisions that were being made might have changed in the wake of this this firestorm. Um, He says that the leaders of the creative team are now being given greater respect when it comes to these kinds of decisions. And, uh, you know, I, I can only say, thank goodness. Uh, who knows what greater respect means uh, in this situation, but thank goodness if it means mm. something tangible because uh, the, the people who are working on the D&D creative team are just some of the best people I know. And they mm. really, really care about the quality of the game. So I, I dearly hope that yes, indeed, uh, more credence will be given to their thoughts when it comes to the overall path that this game will be taken. Something that stood out to me amongst, you know, a couple of things was um, was the the statement that there's no plan right now to release one D and D under an OGL at all. That uh, if they're going to, you know, uh, it, it sounds like they are not planning to keep it closed. But if they open it up, they'll be putting it under Creative Commons, which genuinely surprises me. I think that they would be well within their rights to release a new OGL for uh, the one D and D rules with a separate SRD. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's exciting and cool to me to hear that they've kind of just gone, you know what? <laughs> We've been down this road. <laughs> Everyone's Let's tired. Change <laughs> yeah. That, so that's that one o- thing that stood out to me. It really surprised me. Yeah. I mean, that honestly shocked me. I'm reading from uh, one of Christian Hoffer's tweets. So this isn't from the original interview. So wording might be slightly different in the actual interview. Um, but Christian Hoffer's tweet says the intention is to update the SRD to make it compatible with 1D&D. Brinks doesn't believe that they'll make a new OGL for 1D&D because the Creative Commons license is better, doesn't see what the value of a new OGL, no plans to make 1D&D a closed system, which if I'm reading that correctly and they do do an updated SRD to include 1D&D kind of surprises me uh, to the point of shock. Because I yeah. think I even said on the Lawcast last week, I assumed the plan was cut their losses with 5e now, garden wall, wall garden, whatever the expression is, uh, uh, 1D&D, and just kind of hope enough of the audience moves over to that new system that 5e permeates out and does its own thing, as we will talk about sort of momentarily with what's mm. happening with 5e. Yeah, um, and the hosts of, of uh, Three Black Halflings specifically referenced it in that sense of are you just going to cut your losses and, you know, sure, all of 5e, that stuff can just be free and we'll just build our own separate thing now. Um, yeah. I will clarify that they they haven't promised that they're going to release, like, the rules text of uh, 1D&D under the SRD that they have under Creative Commons. Oh, my gosh, legal documents. Um, but <laughs> Here we go again. It Strap could look in. like that. They could be adding rules text to that SRD that matches 1D&D, but it could also just be compatibility features. So, you know, um, he, he calls it bridging text between the two documents. So anything that doesn't quite match up between the two of them, they're still planning to have 1D&D be compatible with the stuff in the SRD 5.1. So making sure that the document gets updated even under Creative Commons so that it is compatible is what they're looking at. Yeah, sure. And he did make a point of saying that one D and D would not be as would not be much divergent from what fifth edition is. Um, you know, he, he said, we want to call it one D and D, but it may, people might call it 5.5 because the difference might be as similar as third edition was to 3.5, which was really quite similar. So that's sort of breaking news for me anyway. Yeah. I mean, but does that track with the playtest packets they've released so far? Well, I think what music. you were saying last week when, when you sort of said, what, do, what does, you know, backwards compatible mean? And it basically just means that you can play adventures with the new core rules, right? Yeah, like you yeah, don't yeah. have to completely rewrite all the adventure books that have been released. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, and I do agree that I don't think that um, that one D&D looks hugely similar to, to fifth edition, but I think it looks more similar to fifth edition than it looks to a new edition. Does that make sure. sense? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I guess I've lived through second edition to third edition, third edition to fourth edition, and fourth edition to fifth edition. And those are completely different games. Right. So anything where you're still 
using the same terminology in ways that are similar is pretty much the same addition to me. But yeah, again, it it depends on your experience. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally get that. I guess for my point, the, the question is like, we could release an adventure that is technically compatible with characters made using the one D and D rules. If it's backwards compatible, right? Because strength checks, athletics checks, they're still a thing. And so the adventure will largely read as compatible, but could a third party publisher say, do a new set of subclasses for the expert, like kind of grouping of classes, because the classes seem like, and I know these are play tests, so they shouldn't be taken as gospel, but they seem quite deviated from uh, at least the structure of the current 5e classes in a way that would make it difficult for third parties to create new subclasses that connected or felt like they were um, in line with the, the current rules of the game. You you looked into my mind and heard, well, let me consult my crystal ball. Um, <laughs> it's, it's hard to say. I, you know, it's, it's a problem with... Uh, trying to read the future based off a playtest. The playtest has a foundation of sand, and that's a good thing, right? The playtest could change at any time. Uh, and hopefully, however it turns out, third parties like Ghostfire, et cetera, will be able to create for it. Uh, mm. That's kind of that's kind of what the past month has all been about. Um, but... We we won't know. We won't know until we see whatever the future of one D and D looks like. We won't know until we uh, until we see how the future of the one D and D license looks like too. I mean, I think that it's a very brave <laughs> thing to do. I I don't think it was entirely necessary for him to you know go out there on the self flagellation tour. Um, you know being <laughs> interviewed on every YouTube channel. Um, I think it is a very brave thing to do. Yeah, it's also tricky because he clearly is sort of saddled with some some uh, corporate requests not to talk about certain things, or there are certain things that you kind of can't talk about um, for for very reasonable uh, reasons. But uh, I don't know that people will be stoked uh, when they pick up on it. But yeah, um, I'm trying to think. There was one other thing that stood out to me that I, I can't help but feel like it's a little bit unfair. There was kind of this this back-to-back juxtaposition. I agree with everyone who was worried about uh, Wizards of the Coast in the OGL 1.2 sort of uh, being the arbiter of, of what is or isn't harmful content, right? Mm-hmm. I was on team that is dangerous and we can't have that be the case. But... Uh, there was a moment in this interview where that discussion was immediately followed up with, okay, but then what is Wizards of the Coast going to do to stop harmful content from being published if you're just leaving it to the community now? And I'm like, well, we can't we can't really have it both ways. We either want them to be involved or we don't. Um, and it's not really fair to, to say, get out of it. You're not allowed to make any decisions about this, but you are still going to be held responsible for anything that does happen. I think we got to be... We are, there's there's room here. We can't have our cake and eat it too. Um, sure. Yeah. It's interesting. This this interview brings up a lot of uh, controversy that Wizards has muddled its way through over the past two months, like the the Hadozy uh, nastiness. Um, and what what uh, Kyle says here mirrors what I've heard as well. That it was a very senior person who did things outside of the usual uh, pathways, and. Uh, I think people should absolutely hold wizards accountable for the stuff that they screw up on and inevitably they will. Um, but we should hold people who create the bad content accountable for the bad content they create. I'm with you on this one, Dale. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think the community has shown it like they're, they're, there have been Kickstarters over the years that have been sunk before they've even gotten to the end of their Kickstarter period or before they've even launched because the community found objectionable content kind of being put forward in that product. And so the community has a record of letting folks know when when things are are uh, questionable um, or not appropriate. Um, the uh, Sort of marrying this with another bit of news uh, that I originally had on here before this interview came out, I just find this kind of, um, I don't know, funny for no good reason. 
Uh, I've tried to find some reporting on this as well, but I really couldn't find anybody, you know, suggesting why this happened. Uh, but uh, D&D Beyond was down for what seemed like about two days where folks could not access their character sheets. And then D&D Beyond was even saying, look, we think we've fixed it, but if you have a session over the next day or two, they tweeted this out, you should convert your character sheet to a PDF and save it somewhere just so that it's there ready for you to to play. And I know I keep making this comparison. I know it's an imperfect analogy, but it just reminds me so much of like, I think it was like five years ago or something when the PS4 launched or well, that was like 10 years ago now, but there was some big console launch and the servers got DDoS attacked and on Christmas Day, nobody could log in to set up their console. And it's like, that that's what digital D&D kind of looks like. Like, I think this sort of stuff is going to happen more rather than less purely from the nature of the fact that it is going to be online and therefore vulnerable to, I don't know if it was an attack, FYI, it sounds like it was more likely an internal error in this particular circumstance, but there's just D&D players, I would assume, aren't used to that. We've shown up, we want to play D&D, it's D&D night, these are the three hours we have to play. Oh, none of us can access our character sheets or the DM can't find the stat block he needs because the server's down or like whatever, or, you know, they might be doing an update to the server, you know, it could be anything. Um, so I just found that interesting and funny. Uh, and Kyle Brink says in the interview they're doing digital is intended as an end, not instead of a kind of solution for playing D&D. I was at this convention when all of this was happening and obviously people were on their phones and on their iPads and on their laptops. And it was very strange because the game master for one of the games I was playing in while everyone was trying to work their stuff, he was getting cell phone ding, 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 ding. And he kept looking and he finally said, yes, we are having an issue with this. It's not, it's not D and D beyond it's whoever hosts D and D beyond. And right. I would tell you who that was and why this is happening. But if I did, I would have to kill you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, so I have a feeling it was, um, it was a larger problem than just the indie beyond that doesn't excuse the question <laughs> of what happens when this happens, you know, when we're all digital and these, uh, these attacks happen. But I also didn't want to ask any further for fear of being sent to Gitmo or you know, <laughs> being renditioned right there. Uh, yeah, there, there will be a, a horde of level 13 assassins coming mm-hmm. to your house if you were to ask further. <laughs> I, I welcome them at this point. <laughs> Look, you'd, you'd have a good solid head start because those assassins wouldn't be able to access their character sheets for a day. So they this wouldn't know true. what their abilities this were. This is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. You've got a bit of time to get out ahead. <laughs> I will buy <laughs> <laughs> and he's gone um yeah i don't know back up your character sheets create pdfs like every every level up maybe just have a backup pdf of your character sheet because like we've all been there where you show up for your game of D and you forgot your character sheet or your dice at home you didn't pick up the bag you were meant to pick up you know you th- that does happen and you kind of approximate the the character's abilities based on what the player can remember f- to to get through the session but for the, like the whole party to not be able to access their uh, sheets is something else. Every I, day I feel more confident in my choices to keep buying DVDs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to play a little devil's advocate to all of us. I am firmly on team physical media, but I must say the vulnerabilities of digital streaming slash, you know, digital character management, et cetera, et cetera are not greater than physical management. They're just different. You know, you can always spill water on your player's handbook. You know, a cup of soda gets I knocked did do over that. everyone's character sheets. The are whole monk pulled. section wrinkled to hell. Yeah. Um, it, there, there are many, many ways to screw up a physical character sheet too and lose it forever. Um, so yeah, just be, just be smart using the internet. It is not a miracle. It is yeah. just a tool. And Scarlet Moth in the Twitch chat also points out that, uh, you know, D&D Beyond is a great tool for people with access- accessibility um, uh, issues, whether that's disabilities or neurodivergency or whatever it happens to be. And I know, like, my wife just 
cannot hold the rules in her head. You know, it's as simple as that. She just never knows what her character can do at any specific time. And if it's in a blurry kind of written down thing in the corner of her sheet, you know, God's help her if she can even read her own handwriting at that point. So D&D yeah. Beyond is a fantastic tool, make no mistake. Very well. Let us, uh, staying within the, the realm of news, kind of adjusting a little bit as we expand our horizons and yet the more things change, the more they stay the same, um, and yet some things will also change according to Cobalt Press, uh, who put out a series of blog posts talking further about Black Flag um, and uh, changes that may come to Black Flag as a result of the OGL uh, uh, kind of aftermath, if you will. Um, they've said uh, in these two particular blog posts that Black Flag will continue development, um, that they're they're not raising the white flag as they worded it on the blog, um, and that playtesting will begin in late or at the end. I think their wording was specifically the end of February 2023. Um with a whole bunch of VTTs kind of volunteering up to help, uh, including Roll20, Foundry, Fantasy Grounds, Demiplane, uh, which I thought was interesting. Um, one line, though, that I found interesting in here was that it said, we'll embrace 5e and expand upon it, and then talked about doing uh, a new core book of 400 monsters, which I think is great. I love Cobalt Press's monster manuals. Um, and they've got new race and heritage systems in their wordings. So you choose your race will give you a few abilities and then your heritage will give you different abilities. So you might be an elf raised by dwarves because of the specifics of your character's background. Um, but this sounds to me, Black Flag sounds sort of increasingly like, especially with that phrase, um, embrace 5e and expand upon it, like this is not going to be as much of a new system as uh, may have first been thought. This sounds like it is It is kind of like a 5.5 in a different direction. It sounds kind of like level up advanced 5e, but with a kobold spin on it uh, in their words. Uh, what do we think? <laughs> I'm going to blow your mind now, Ben. Is Black Flag a different game with different mechanics than, than, than one D&D will be? Is it, are they... Um, going on the same path, are they going parallel paths? Will one game end up looking exactly like the other? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's I Ben's mean, turn to reach for his crystal ball. Yeah, it, it sort of goes back to the question that you know we were talking about, right? How different is five one D and D going to be from from fifth edition? If sure. all of these other companies are making a embrace five E version, then what is the difference going to be between the two what happens if as often happens in game development paths become apparent and so you follow that path right people are smart and they can see the best solution to game problems and often they solve those problems in the same way mm -hmm. uh, where are we headed uh it's a very interesting question now well you know in the third edition era Pathfinder was not the only third edition, and I say this with love, knockoff. Um, <laughs> it was just the one that rooted most securely. Um, mm -hmm. I I feel that you know we we will see a lot of games uh, grow and succeed in their niche, and either become extremely niche or try and make it big and fail or, or succeed. Uh, every different game that is taking 5e as its core will have a different fate. But I think ultimately, no matter how big the 5e market has become over the past 10 years, bigger than any D&D market ever has been before, mm. uh, there, will still, there will still only be one 5e inheritor. And with regard to what Kyle said this very day, it looks increasingly like it will be one D&D. &D. Mm. Um, so I, I love the Black Flag folks. I love the people working on that game. I'm a little worried for them. Um, but it sounds like you know this, was, this sort of thing was inevitable, right? MCDM was going to make a game. It, eventually, the OGL just lit a fire under their ass. The Cobalt Press was going to make Black Flag eventually, but they just had to get moving. 
right mm. now. Mm. Um, so I, I, I don't, I don't feel too like heartbroken because these games are going to be good. These are going to be good games and people will like them. Um, what it comes down to is a matter of will they blow the top off the industry in the way the Pathfinder did, you know, however many years ago that was. I, I kind of hope so. I love to see this industry get get big and grow wild and have a bunch of different branches branching off of it. But uh, honestly, if you ask me personally, I, I kind of hope that the the game that blows the top off of D&D is not like D&D at all. I, I would love to have a more divergent RPG than one that grows yeah. right off of the D&D family tree. Yeah. I agree. And I mean, you look at the the sort of live updates that we're getting currently about the MCDM game that's that they're working on that they're putting in development and it looks quite significantly different from 5e and I have no doubt that they have no interest in shaping their game uh after like from the same mold as 5e right um one thing that does stick in my head because I'm I'm kind of with you James I I want to see something really exciting and new in the fantasy tabletop RPG space because I feel like we get some cool new games regularly, but because of this monolithic presence of D&D, fantasy tabletop RPGs all look kind of sad. And then also you've got, you know, uh, whatever the name is for that kind of evolution where you're just, you're in different places, but the, the environment is the same. So they start to look the same just by happenstance, right? Um, and I think there is a little bit of that in fantasy RPGs, but I also can't help but notice if, if, these big successful um, non-wizards companies, uh, you know, branching out and making their own games, they all seem to be led by people who have, you know, D&D running in their veins. They've been playing it for a thousand years and it's, you know, taken hold on them. It has a huge influence on them, whether it's from second edition, third edition, whatever. There is this kind of D&D legacy that will influence their game design. And part of me is just sitting here waiting and excited to see someone who's come in in this new influx of of tabletop RPG gamers that have just brand new come to this hobby. I want to see them start designing. What kind of wacky stuff does someone begin designing from a, a ground up tabletop RPG game if they just don't have that legacy of what the design should look like? Sure, yeah. I I think that the stuff that Matt Koval has been tweeting about with his new game playtest has been really cool, but also it is still a miniatures focused grid based combat simulationist dungeon crawling fantasy game where you fight goblins and you have a class and you roll dice and his dice may have chaos and order on them and but you know it's it, it's from the same family and i'm sure it will be wonderful um but i want to see someone you know take ryutama to the big leagues i want to see someone take uh fabula ultima to the big leagues that sounds sick that sounds like something i've never seen before i want to see someone take like quest uh, to the big leagues because there are all these games that every time wizard slips up someone comes out with their dnd killer and this season it was the 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 dnd killers were all a lot like dnd mm. uh but the last time it happened i don't remember what exactly it was um quest quest rpg made a big splash with its very sort of indie looking uh art and its very indie looking landscape book design and all that um it, it was doing basically everything it could to be fantasy exploration but it doesn't look like dnd it doesn't feel like dnd um and i have no idea how successful quest was after its 15 minutes in the limelight were over but i want to see more stuff like that because you know you throw enough spaghetti at the wall eventually something will stick eventually some cool game that does something neat will lodge just perfectly in a critical mass of people's brains and something transformative will happen here and i i i'm waiting for that day you know not with bated breath but i'm waiting for that day at the same time to play slight devil's advocate to that because i think that would be fantastic as well to have you know something that that feels very different 5e feels like the sacred cow everybody is rushing in to kill and take their part away from. Uh, to use a, a mythology uh, analogy for you, Dale, it feels like 5e is a mirror being carved apart to create the new world uh, or the new landscape of tabletop mm. RPGs. 
because like you've already got level up. You'll have folks black at home, flag. that's a reference to um, Norse mythology. Uh, you've you'll have one D and D. Even Ghostfire Gaming has kind of per- we haven't you know called it a new system or anything like that, but we've definitely permeated in Grim Hollow and Aurora uh, and I, I think even Fables uh, kind of new systems or new ways of doing things. I know Aurora has its new character creation system where you kind of, uh, you know, pull or almost tech tree your character to life, pulling in a whole bunch of traits. Grim Hollow has its alternative rest mechanics, uh, which stretches a long rest out into two days, uh, as well as the beast and resolve dice. And these are mechanics that may not be necessarily applicable all at once, all at the same time. I think if a person, if an RPG fan is on the Wizards of the Coast kind of journey, as Xanathar's comes out, that kind of gets layered onto 5e. And then as uh, Tasha's comes out, that gets layered onto 5e. And as all the individual adventures come out, those get layered onto 5e. And 5e continues to kind of expand and then you have you know your dark elf ranger um edgelord in a party with your happy-go-lucky bunny person who's kind because it's all kind of been layered on together um in a way that probably wasn't necessarily intentional when each of those individual things was designed uh the point that i'm sort of getting at is it's kind of like everybody speaks the same language so i could go to a black flag table and be able to play black flag but the specifics of the mechanics are different enough that I feel like I'm playing a a slightly different game or at least in a different world in a mechanical aspect as opposed to going to a Grim Hollow table and playing at Grim Hollow, playing in a Grim Hollow world or going to a 1D&D table and playing. Because they've they've already said that, like, in 1D&D, they want the dwarves to be the dwarfiest dwarves that ever dwarfed and the giants to be the giantest giants. And they've, they've really upped the magic scale uh, on the feeling of each of those species, um, which, you know, is not to everybody's taste. It feels less vanilla than vanilla 5e sort of was. So I wonder if vanilla 5e sits as this kind of shared language between lots of different systems, which actually encourages people to try lots of different styles of 5e um, rather than sort of being in the one thing that they specifically know. It's so true. I completely agree with you. And it's funny, it's it's made me recognize a divide between myself as a GM who's very, you know, people shouldn't have to learn new rules to a whole new system just in order to play the game. And, and learning those rules is hard and you can't get videos to teach you the way that you can for D&D. Uh, but also as a designer, I'm just excited to see different stuff. So it's it's a bizarre little sort of ravine in my head, keeping those mm. feelings separate because I completely agree with everything that you just said. And, and both those things, you know, a great new system can come in that's entirely different from from 5e and the 5e landscape as it is can both exist at the same time. Of course, a market is inherently competitive, so there's going to be competition for people's time and dollars. So inevitably one may rise above the others um, but these two things can't not exist at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and another issue is, you know, we talk about what's this game going to be. All those games are out there right now. There are amazing games that are totally different from D&D out there now, ready to be played. Mm-hmm. Why aren't they the most popular things or even one one hundredth of the most popular things according, you know, compared to D&D? And it's not the design because the design's there, right? It's, it's not the intelligence of the people that created them. It's not the in touchness with the, the fan base because they're in touch with their fan bases. So we have to ask ourselves then, why isn't it the case? Uh, who am I going to sit down and make a game that's not already out there and have it compete? Uh, sure, I am. I'll get right on that and I'll get back to you. It's why this this podcast so often ends up delving into marketing talk, right? Because it is, it's it's brand, it's reach, it's accessibility, it's any number of things that all fall under this sort of marketing umbrella rather than the design umbrella. Yeah, it, it is very hard to build a better mousetrap than D&D or than Fate or than Call of Cthulhu, than, than any game that's already on the market because even if these games aren't perfect and none of them are, 
Mm. Uh, the thing that makes them perfect is the people. Mm. And that's perfect in both a social sense and in a mechanical sense, because the gaps in the design, which are, will be different for every single player and every single permutation of groups of players, uh, need to be filled in on an individual level. Um, and so every fantasy heartbreaker that wants to do D&D, but I'll do it right this time, is doomed to fail. Because D&D, but I'll do it right this time, is just kind of what you like or what your group likes. And uh, as I've said a number of times before on this podcast, it's a miracle that Pathfinder is Pathfinder uh, with a capital P. It's a miracle. It, and, and, and not to discourage Black Flag, but it will take a miracle for them to be uh, that also. But, you know, that is just how these things go. And that is why a lot of tabletop companies uh, can dream big, but also must be realistic. In their mm. in their scope, because mm. uh, you, you, no one can prepare for success on a piezo or a wizard scale. Mm. Hell, even a you know even a chaosium scale, and they publish Call of Cthulhu is 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 bold of a mm. lot of RPG publishers, and the, and it's why you got to do it for the thing you love. It's why you got to do it for the love of the game, mm. because that is the thing that will sustain you. Well, speaking of things that we love. Uh, Sean, we're going to give you a chance to get a head start on those assassins because it's Legends of Vox Machina time, check-in time. <laughs> um, I watched uh, the entire series up through episode nine. I will have you know. Okay. Yeah, okay. Sean. Nice. Uh, all right. I'm just going to give the spoiler warning here. Um, Dante, if you want to give a more specific spoiler warning later, if we don't go into spoilers straight away, that's fine. Uh, but I just want to cover, cover us this week. Cause usually we get halfway through the discussion and I'm like, oh crap, that was probably a spoiler. Uh, spoiler warning, spoiler warning. Um, uh, let's, let's put up the, uh, the siren, uh, right at the top episode wee, seven to nine. Wee, wee, wee. Um, Sean, are you saying that you've watched the whole thing, including the season two episodes you'd already watched? recently like you just watched the whole thing in the last week i watched the last uh four episodes within the last four hours okay (laughs) okay cool you've had a busy (laughs) evening um Mm -hmm. and and a youtube interview um uh (laughs) yes i'll admit right now i'm only halfway through episode eight i was gonna watch them this morning i watched the kyle brink interview instead (laughs) okay that's fair that's fair. Uh, spoilers, Dale. Um, in my defense, I was also going to watch them yesterday, but instead got a flat tire and was stuck on the side of the road for a couple hours. That's also fair. No, no, no Amazon on your phone. Okay, okay, it's all good. No uh, battery on my phone. <laughs> James, are you up to date? Man, dude, I had lunch with Matt Mercer last week, and I didn't watch those episodes. Fair enough. Uh, okay. No, I'm like no, it's just you and, and me. Sean. Ben and Sean. Ben and Sean. I still don't know any characters' email. names, but I did watch it. <laughs> uh, all right. Cool, 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 cool. All right. Um, well, uh, I thought the last three episodes were good. What did you think, Sean? <laughs> I thought I started to care about the characters. Uh, yeah. and I thought I thought that was a very powerful thing. Uh, I was... thought that some of the some of the clues that had been dropped in the previous episodes started to come to fruition. Uh, I think James is throwing things at us, and and that's okay. <laughs> I've had things thrown at <laughs> me before. So angry, <laughs> <laughs> and it made me feel like that there is a chance that. Uh, you know, old school D&D players who have played every story imaginable and seen every story imaginable up to this point may actually check in and and see this story being told as it starts to diverge a bit from the your average, I have a sword that wants me to kill everyone and mm-hmm. how am I going to handle that? Uh, mm-hmm. it, it played itself out with a bit of a, a twist and a little bit of a surprise. And, mm. and I was, I was all about that. Yeah. I felt like there was like, uh, on net average, less epiphanies in the last three mm-hmm. episodes, which mm-hmm. made it feel a little bit more, um, you know, like I, I, and again, we spoiler warning it. 
spoilers for James and Dale, but you watch the stream, so you know what's coming. I didn't watch the the this part of the stream. I was sort of semi-familiar with it, but I thought that the way that Grog loses Craven Edge felt kind of downplayed in the show. It was kind of like, oh, oh, it's gone. Okay. Uh, sort of almost anticlimactic. But I get, I think what you're saying, which is that Craven Edge or the cli- the conflict with Craven Edge is not the story they're telling with Grog. Mm-hmm. It's more right. about how Grog feels about themselves. And maybe uh, Dale and James are both going to go, yes. Like, well, <laughs> well I, it's, from my memory, it's been a while since I watched this leg of the campaign, but from my memory, that's not how it went down with Craven Edge at all. They've completely had to construct a new thing, right? Because sure. my memory of the, the campaign, spoilers for the campaign, big spoilers, Grog dies and they have to bring him back to life and they have to do this whole thing to get rid of the sword. Um, but the fact that it's come just on the tail of Vex's death meant that that would not be remotely satisfying in terms of a, a scripted series, right? Sure. Like there were enough episodes between and enough going on in the, sh- in the live show and there's enough chaos in the live show that it felt like really like cool and, and like great storytelling. But I think if they had translated that directly into the show, it wouldn't have worked. And I'm really pleased to see them just straight up change the story for a bit like yeah. let's just do something else then yeah yeah are there any other because co- it feels like the result of grog and i see i feel like you couldn't do it my, i was talking to my wife who watched it with me and i feel like you couldn't do this in a D campaign for an extended period of time what happens to grog after he loses craven edge which mm. in the animated mm. series is he loses all his strength. He has no ability to rage. He kind of ha- goes through like a princess bride style revival to even be able to stand up again, um, which is a great sequence. Um, but his character sheet is, if you think of him as a D&D character, functionally defunct. So you sort of, I don't know if you could do that for a long period of time to a D&D player who wants to get into the dungeon and kill monsters, especially if they're, they're playing a barbarian. It's a great way to do it if something happens like what happens in campaign two, where a character, where a player has to go on hiatus for like two months. Sure. Uh, it's a great way to take their character out of the narrative, to give them a big climactic magical send off where the sword is defeated, but oh, it saps the very strength from your body. Um, and then, you know, Grog is now more of a sort of narrative tool than a character the character sheet for a little bit until he gets his barbarian levels back. Yeah. Yeah. But the story that they're telling with him is very, I like it. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, I, I think, so I actually did see that part of the show. It was on at one of my friend's houses when I went over there. Um, and so I saw, I saw limp grog wimpy grog um and it was it was fun it was a really fun little bit i loved when <laughs> when sam and ashley sang the like country song yeah were little musical across. interlude for no reason i love that <laughs> it was so good uh, how do we feel i know i keep bringing this up because it bothers me every week but how do we feel about the tone and the balancing between the 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 sense of humor that the show has and the story, the, the gravity of the story that it's trying to tell. Because I have to admit, I, I groaned and rolled my eyes the instant that the Princess Bride kind of took the twist of like, oh, I've made medicine for him. It needs to go up his anus. Like, let's, you know, I don't know if Dante would need to bleep that, but I was just like, oh, okay, yeah, of course it does. And I, from the trailers, I assume that joke is coming again with one of the dragons, um, I don't know if that's how it played out in the stream. Um, were you ever taken out of it in that way, Sean? Just, just maybe not even at that specific point, but do you feel like it 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 has a good balance between humor and drama that a D and D campaign would kind of typically have anyway? The the thing I noticed was, and and this goes back to the I've been doing this for thirty forty years, so I've heard every joke in the book. It's mm. not that there's jokes. It's there that the lowest common denominator jokes. Mm, and yeah. and so, you know, I don't mind, you know, breaking up the drama with something completely ridiculous because there's no one more ridiculous than than me and the groups that I've played with over the years. But make it something that's surprising. 
right? Make it something that's not your typical, it, that's, it's not going in that end sort of joke. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, go, go beyond that if you can, but you know, it's, it's typical for a D and D group to do those things and say those jokes. We've all done it. We all do it. Uh, at least it, with the players I've played with. So it, it, it fits to me. I just want it to be, I want it to be a little more surprising than, than it is just the, yeah. we're going to swear when we see the huge monster rise up out of the, the thing. And that's supposed to sort of be funny that we're swearing. Um, mm. you know, that that's, that's all. Was Grogi in the original, uh, run of, uh, the campaign? Who's Grogi? Is that Pike's dad? Granddad? No, no, no. Grogi no, was Grogi. Grogi was a bit of a deep cut, I'll be honest. Uh, Grogi is from the Black Cauldron and is, or is it Gurgi? It's Gurgi. That's what Gurgi. I'm thinking of. Uh, I hated Are you Gurgi. thinking of Garmili, the satyr? Yes, that's who Garmili. I'm thinking of. Garmili. He's, he's yes. iconic. Oh, yeah. Garmili is Garmili's going to be a thing. And that sketchbook is iconic also. Yeah. I mean, it's the whole reason why, big, big spoiler warning, uh, especially, it's why Jester's drawing dicks all the time in campaign two. There's, it becomes oh, a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So at the end, when, uh, well, you already know, I assume at this point, but at the end of like episode nine or whatever, Vox Machina or the half of Vox Machina, because the group gets split, uh, go through a portal to leave the Feywild and uh, 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 Gurgi transforms uh, back into his sort of regal godlike elven uh, regalia and goes, hmm, good luck, Vox Machina, you know, kind of like Thanos at the no, end of- I mean, of, that uh, kind of happened in, um, in the live show as well. Oh, okay, well, there you go. And, and my <laughs> wife said, who's that? And I said, oh, that's, I absolutely have no idea. Um, so so there you go. We've just spoiled mm-hmm. it for everybody who didn't watch the live stream. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, all right. Gurgi is the most important, unimportant character, says had an affair. I think Gurgi's, all right, Black Cauldron talk real quick. I think Gurgi's uh, uh, character does pay off by the end, but no, God Gurgi's is Gurgi the worst. insufferable. I, I wish Gurgi didn't come back to life. I- <laughs> <laughs> There's I, my Black Cauldron hot take for the day. I, I think I agree, but not because Gurgi's insufferable, but because then it makes the sacrifice not a sacrifice. Right? Well, as, why not both? Yeah. <laughs> and as the chat is noting, some of the best things are actors that anyone would recognize their voice being in the show. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm watching all of a sudden. Wait a second. I know that voice. Oh, my gosh. It's Henry Winkler. Oh, wow. Is that cool. who that you was? Know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did not recognize that at all. Oh, yeah. Lance Reddick. Know his voice anywhere. Uh all, all sorts of actors that were popping out. Uh, yeah, in terms wasn't of their Garmili, voices. Uh, Pippin, Pippin took mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Billy Boy. Just like they, just like they had Mary oh. in season one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. They're collecting hobbits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That's because I like the whole time I was listening to Garmili's voice, and I'm like, I recognize that voice, and I honestly like what I was hearing was David Tennant. But I knew because I knew that he was in the show, but he was last season, wasn't he? He played yeah. a character a lot. So I was like, it's yeah. not him. Who is that voice that I'm hearing? Um, and uh, yeah, Billy Boyd makes sense. Tennant was the blue dragon they killed uh, that removed right. the fifth member from the criminal conclave. Well, speaking of removing things from places, <laughs> uh, we need to remove this podcast from Twitch for another week. Um, uh, because it is the end of the episode. We've, we've run out our time. Um, if you are watching this on Twitch, you can also catch it on YouTube, especially if you came in halfway through, you can catch the full episode. It'll be about a day or two, uh, on Ghostfire podcasts, uh, go and subscribe to that channel and do all the things that people do to be updated if they want to be updated. Um, uh, uh, also, uh, we are coming into the final, uh, few weeks before the launch of the Valican clans Kickstarter. Uh, we're going to do a big kind of hype on that next week uh, on the Lawcast. Uh, but if you want to go and get updates for that, um, uh, uh, hopefully uh, Han is still on call to quickly drop a link uh, to the Kickstarter page, but there'll be one in the description if you're watching this uh, later. Um, otherwise, we're here on Twitch next week. It'll be 11 a.m. Tuesday Australian Standard Time. It'll be Monday, 7 p.m. Pacific. 
4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, I, I won't change the time without telling people again, I promise, um, until I do. Anyway, I've been Ben Byrne here with Dale Kingsmill, James Hake, Sean Merwin, and we will be back again next week. Until then. Oh, we gotta go.